0: Hello, I'm Claudia Winkleman. Welcome to Business Unusual. I am speaking to incredible people in this podcast from Vodafone Business. So let's start. Tala's mission is to make 100% upcycled clothing, keeping costs low and paying its workforce a fair wage. It may never have happened if the woman behind it hadn't first built a digital community. Tala's founder and CEO has a million followers on Instagram, a Sunday Times bestselling book and a degree from Oxford. She joins me now and I'm so happy to say a huge hello and welcome to Grace Beverley. Thank you so much for talking to us.
1: Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Grace, we're focusing on Tala today, but of course, it's not the first business you founded. Tell me a bit about Shreddy.
1: So Shreddy was just started based on the idea that we don't believe that people should have to do um, workouts they hate to get results they love. It was all about making a community first, um, but also goals based, effective fitness space for women from nutrition to app to workout plans to equipment and pretty much everything in between.
0: Now tell me all about Tala.
1: So I've, I've been talking a lot about Tala these past few weeks. We're working on something really, really exciting. Um, but I started Tala two years after I started my first business. So I had quite a clear kind of grip on the fitness industry and wasn't necessarily looking to start a second business. But, you know, I had gone on a personal kind of transformation, moving away from fast fashion, understanding that sustainability wise, ethics wise, pretty much everything in between, it probably wasn't something I wanted to be supporting. And then I kind of realized that there was this big old gap in that move away. And that gap was my activewear because activewear isn't really marketed as fast fashion. I think you see it with a purpose. You don't necessarily kind of see that in the same way. So I just completely neglected that point. And I I was within the fitness industry. So I was using a lot of it. And young people, we like to wear activewear for pretty much everything we can get away with. So I kind of realized this huge gap for me but also for the market, and it seemed to make absolutely no sense to me, first of all, that I couldn't go out there and buy sustainable activewear at an affordable price point, but also from from a business point of view, why on earth the early adopters of activewear, who are that Gen Z millennial crossover, who also want value alignment from their brands in terms of ethics and sustainability and actually knowing a brand has a soul behind it, were not being catered to in that sweet spot. Because if it was being catered to, it was at a price point that these people could not never access. You can't ask someone to buy a pair of leggings for £100 for the privilege of being sustainable. So that, for me, was the real key in deciding to launch the company um, For the record, I actually looked for a lot of companies to work with that were doing that before going and starting my own. But it was just wide open. And it's crazy. The opportunity is still completely wide open, especially at that kind of competitive price point level.
0: That's so interesting because you really were filling a gap. You were like, do you know what? I would like to buy some affordable but ethical activewear and I can't get my hands on it. Or, Or I can, but I'd have to sell my house first I mean it was just everything was so expensive
1: well it just made absolutely no sense because I mean and don't get me wrong people have done incredible things within the sustainability space both in fashion and in activewear but the activewear I mean it's it's incredibly hard to do to have it at that affordable price point and my first kind of mission was to work out if it was even possible um and that's a whole other story in itself um but it just seemed absolutely insane that if you know all of my friends wear activewear and we're also discovering that we don't just want to support brands that stand for nothing. Why do those things not happen together from both a business point and a kind of consumer point? And I think some of the best businesses have been started basically on that serendipity um, of just being like, I am the ideal consumer here. Why the hell is this not being kind of catered to? And that was exactly it.
0: I can't believe this next fact, but I will share it with the group. Tala was unveiled in the same month you were doing your final exams (laughs) at university. I mean Grace what are, your parents must have gone No babe just just wait a bit <laughs> So I didn't because actually tell my parents because finals are stressful <laughs> (laughs) oh yeah so I think
1: that's the number one rule if you're gonna launch a business in your final month at university just don't tell your parents so I've been working on it for about a year before this point it got pushed back got pushed back got pushed back was originally meant to be in December 2018 then January 2019 then uh, March 2019 and then May and you cannot run a business without money going in I was in a really fortunate position to be able to launch this business anyway after what I'd done over the past two years so I, I was just like this can't be pushed back any further. Everything's ready. It needs to go now. And it just so happened that that was the most terrible time of my life, which was exactly that. I had, I think it was 40,000 words due and five exams in 10 days, which also my university decided that that would be your whole degree in that space of two weeks. So it's something that I'm praised for a lot, but it's like undoubtedly the worst decision ever.
0: No, it's incredibly impressive. Uh, But also people who are listening, because we have lots of sort of budding entrepreneurs who think, who might think to themselves, it's not the right time now. Mm -hmm. Or you are Mm -hmm. a perfect example of there is no right time or there is a right time and just do it.
1: Yeah. Um, Just go for it. I think within that as well, it completely depends on the industry. But I was so excited by the gap, both... Yeah. From my personal side and just being, you know, it was one of those things that when I kept describing it to people, people were like, oh, my God, why does that not exist? And then the more you get that, the more you're like, we need to be out there now before everyone else gets into the industry. Um, And it's actually so interesting watching the evolution of that over the past two years, because, you know, there's been a huge amount of proof of concept within the sustainable activewear space with places, you know, places like Pangaea, lots of companies going into their materials innovation to really work out what R&D they can do to kind of move into that space. but at the affordable price point, still wide open.
0: So, Tala took 10,000 orders on its first day. Um... I want to use two words which are holy moly. Did you ever expect that? And how important was social media in that and word of mouth?
1: So we did a soft launch um, in the April uh, to announce the concept, to share a bit of our values, to share some of the products, all of that before launch. So there was the, and obviously I had my social media for the past few years, um, and the audience built up on that was very much based on, you know, my previous business, me sharing my time in the fitness industry, kind of being completely transparent about both the business side and the fitness side and all of that, just kind of very much like sharing life. It was socials were, I feel, a lot less polished at that time. Um, And so that's kind of what it was all about. And there was that, you know, there's now this audience first approach that, you know, one of the most expensive parts of having a business is acquiring an audience and acquiring a customer base. So if you can do that with a customer acquisition cost of very, very low based on what the costs are of running your social media, you're going to be in a great place for being able to launch something. So the platform was built, you know, with other things in mind. But based on that, it had a huge boost and, um, And that is exactly why brands now as well try and position themselves as their own influencer based on their values, based on what they talk about and all of that, because they're essentially acquiring an audience, an organic audience, uh, in a way that paid acquisition can't um, at a cost that paid acquisition can't. So there's that point. We already knew it was going to be a big launch, essentially, because we knew people would take a gamble based on the past business stuff, the values, all of that, the fact that it was really needed to be catered to in the industry and the fact that you could see what these other sportswear brands were doing. But... And this is the biggest part. It blew us out the water. And if you look at the data based on my previous company, which has done fantastically well and still does do really, really well, the proof of concept based on that people really wanted this was stark. It was so clear and it was so easily digested, even just from that first launch, because at some points there were more people buying things than were interacting with a post. So that means the concept must be there as well, rather than it just being a merchandising type situation. So that was really um, important to see the longevity of the business, to be able to scale the business, to be able to bring it out of just one kind of platform. Um, so yeah, crazy, but also the concept played a large part in that.
0: It's so interesting that people were interacting with a post, but they weren't just going, oh, like they then actually went to go and purchase. They followed through because they, they wanted to own the product yeah. rather than just be appreciative of the idea of it.
1: And and within social media now, when brands look at social media, as with any type of marketing, you have to work out what your key performance indicators would be from that thing. So usually when you go to socials, people assume that that conversion is going to be there. So you see a 1 million following, you see a 200,000 following, you assume you can take a percentage of that and convert. If you look at the average engagement rate, even to like a post, it's like 2.5%, right? So if you're trying to get people to spend an average basket order of £60, which is kind of was our average basket order at the time and has kind of trended up since then, think how much you need to engage them and how much they need to like the concept. Yeah. And that is why like influencer marketing as a whole has been... So effective in some ways, but also so expensive and ineffective in other ways. And you kind of just need to know exactly how to crack that for your brand in particular and know exactly what you want out of something, whether it is conversion, whether it is exposure, whether it is kind of advocacy or anything in between. But it was crazy.
0: I've spoken to lots of founders of businesses and what they love about, let's say, Tala, that people can speak directly to you you can change something you can go oh that's quite interesting they prefer this color or they prefer this shape or they want to know more about our sustainability goals or yeah is how social media for your for Tala
1: I mean social media is of utmost importance. to I'd say every single brand wanting to build itself now whether that is a retail first brand direct to consumer brand b2b brand whatever it might be It is so important. And that is because it is testimonial, advocacy, feedback, support, marketing, community, everything all in one.
0: Tell us why being environmentally conscious is so important to your brand and to those who are buying it.
1: I think I will. First of all, I think it should be important to everyone. Um, It's something we need to be paying a lot of attention to. Obviously, first things first, it comes with governmental input and the largest companies, but also in terms of consumption, there's been a lot of spotlight on the past few years in terms of things like fashion and their impact on the planet. It was really important for us to create something. Every single brand has a sustainability statement. Every single brand has a point that it kind of says, we are this, but it's a hygiene factor for the large majority of brands.
0: What does that mean?
1: You have to comment on it and you have to say, we are ticking these boxes. And if it's a hygiene factor then it's something that can be compromised and it's something that's not at the core of your brand, but it's something you need to talk about. If it is at the core of your brand, there there are countless things all the time that we kind of start to produce in terms of samples and the technology just isn't there yet. And we either couldn't do it at a price point that our customers could shop at and therefore it wouldn't be fair and accessible. Or, you know, it's the other side of that, which is just, you know, it's not sustainable enough. We, we've partnered with Depop in terms of making sure that all our samples that never got made into production actually get a new home. So people also get one of a kind pieces yeah. at a lower price point. Um, we turn our offcuts back into recycled yarn to make into new product itself. Our packaging, our freight. We can't do acid wash dyeing processes no matter how much people love it at the time because it's not environmentally friendly, etc, etc, etc. And it becomes rather than a hygiene factor, it becomes a defining factor in our decision-making. That is where our business needs to go. That is where the industry needs to go. Because as soon as it's uncompromisable, it's something that actually
0: drives change. How do you meet the demands of high fashion, people who want Mm -hmm. stuff, when you feel like, I don't mean a slow fashion business in a bad way, where you take your time and you use these beautiful recycled products how do you get it out fast enough so
1: i think it's less about getting it out fast enough because the whole of you know the whole of the fashion industry is planned in um you know 6 months in advance at a minimum probably um so you know as long as you're on top of that and we kind of ramped it up from starting with you know four collections a year to whatever it might be it's quite an interesting one within the industry because sustainability will always be based on less consumption and so even if you're making things and ticking all of those boxes that I just mentioned based on, you know, there's different parts of sustainability. If you are consuming at the same rate, it's still better, but it's not something, you know, we would still encourage people to cut down their consumption. That being said, it is still very important for us to create a few trend led pieces a season. And that is because if you're changing people's consumer habits, you need to understand where they're at in their sustainability journey and where that means that changes happen, essentially. So if, for example, we're getting a customer who usually shops from X unnamed brand that makes, you know, pastel colored leggings and and workout sets and actually, and they pay 42 pounds for it. Surprise, surprise. Ours are also 42 pounds despite being also sustainable and ethical, et cetera, et cetera. So We'd hope that the first step would be that that person would change to shopping with us. But we hope that the second step would also be a reduction in consumption down the line. We know that that's not an easy journey. It took me about two years to even bite the bullet and say, I should not be shopping from these places and moving on. And it takes all of us a lot of time. And we all know that there are things we shouldn't be doing and we still do even though the effect it has on the planet. um, But we also, so for us, it's really important to have that education piece, but also to make it clear that you don't need to opt out entirely of the fashion industry in order to shop smarter. It's yeah. great if you can, and it's great if you really feel, you know, comfortable with only timeless pieces and only, you know, the blacks and the grays and the neutral colors and all of that that you know you'll always wear but we know the reality is for people to sit, stick to sustainability they need to have some of that trend led as well otherwise it's not going to you know they're not they're otherwise not going
0: to you, yeah yeah
1: and, and 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 we'll just think you know it's like telling everyone they need to go vegan for example rather than just saying you know what if you cut back on a bit of this a week then it's better and I'm That's coming from a vegan myself. Um, But yeah, so it's important to have those different approaches. And it's also important to say that actually sustainability isn't about turning away fashion completely. It is about changing consumption. Absolutely. And for the majority of the people, me included, we need to cut that down and we need to think more about trends and be like, do I really need that? Or do I really yes. want that color? Um, or could I rent it? Or could I do this? Or could I whatever? Yeah. But we understand within the activewear space, particularly rental and things like that, are not really an option. You don't really want to rent someone else's sweaty activewear. Um, but also that we can do everything more than a hygiene factor, and educate people to try and cut down, um, and also still say, you know what, we've produced the minimum order quantity of these as well because this is a trend colour this year everyone's loving it and we know you guys would love to work out in it and then continue you know the education on please don't shop disposably please do this and this et cetera so it's tough we're in an industry that is probably an oxymoron sustainable fashion but in order to be able to get that change no I'm with you yeah and and there will also be like I think what's really clear for us as well is there will also be people who we do not you know They will only buy one pair of leggings after their last pair has broken three times and they've repaired them three times. And
0: that
1: is fantastic. And they will, you know, they might shop with us, they might shop with other people, whatever it might be. But the important thing within the industry is being able to be in a place that actually changes people's consumer habit and understands that bridge that needs to be created to create that change. Otherwise, it's denying the reality of the industry and people's consumption in order to just look better. Um, And um, I think it's important to give people that expression and um, to give people that option, even if they're moving away from um, kind of fast fashion as a whole. Um, It's difficult because fast fashion versus slow fashion, it seems like a like a black and white, um, you know, like a. but actually there's this whole spectrum that you need to be able to know where you are, where you shop, and then you can make those moves. And I'm still making those moves to more and more sustainability. Um, But it's important for us to, you know, be able to give people those options too.
0: Absolutely. We're going to break in just a sec, but I have to ask you, um, what does Tala mean?
1: Such a good question. That's such a bad answer. Um, So I wanted to find a word that meant nothing. So I wanted to find something that looked nice in uppercase, lowercase, um, on clothes, and that meant very little that we can make to mean something. So I actually found a false translation that was I was looking through kind of like untranslatable words when I was trying to, I hadn't named the company yeah. about six months into our actual discovery of whether it was going to work and working on it. So we didn't actually have a company name at all. Um, but that was, then I just found this word and I was like, it looks nice. And then it turns out to be a fake, fake translation. And I was just like, I don't care. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna I'll make go it mean it. something anyway.
0: By the way, that's an excellent story. And you share something with lots of founders and CEOs, which is you think you're going to start a business. And maybe for the rest of us who aren't entrepreneurs, you think, oh, if I started something, I'd give it this name. And they've all said, oh, no, I didn't really care about the name. Just came up with no. it in two seconds. That, but what, I that think wasn't it's so thing.
1: important in a world where actually branding's important. People's relationship yeah. with branding is important. If we want to do it lowercase, if we want to do it uppercase, if we want to do it cursive, if we want to do it in bubble font, it has yeah. to look nice. <laughs> so it's not very too good many point. curves and angles and all of this. I don't like circles. Strange.
0: <laughs> More from my chat with Grace in just a moment. First, I want to introduce a great new initiative from Vodafone Business. In the last year, there's been a huge rise in the need for businesses to get online. Small and medium enterprises make up 99.9% of the UK's business population. Founders and entrepreneurs have never had so many decisions to make when it comes to technology. Digital skills are more important than ever, but at least a third of small business owners in the UK said they aren't sure which tools will best suit their needs. Many haven't invested in any digital support. Some have only the most basic cybersecurity. That's why Vodafone have introduced Business.Connected, a free online training program to support 100,000 businesses across the UK. It offers free webinars, workshops, and online training modules. There are different levels of upskilling to cater to those just starting their online journey, as well as businesses looking to build on existing experience. Find out more via Vodafone Business Online Knowledge and Resource Center vhub where you can sign up to business.connected and connect your business to the free tools and training you need to digitally transform search vodafone business vhub grace as a founder and of course ceo you are very hands-on why is that important to you are you ever tempted to go guys i'm going to greece for two months good luck and p.s i quite like lilac <laughs> that is
1: actually such a good technique and i should really employ that soon and um, I think there is a ever-growing conception of entrepreneurs online, which is this kind of like passive income. You can build a business and you will have no boss and you'll be by the pool and your money will just be flowing in. And sometimes that happens for some people. It usually happens when you start with a lot of money in the first place um, and are able to have that passively making money, the reality. And then also anything that kind of has that high stakes, you're probably going to want to spend some time on it anyway. Then also the most powerful brands nowadays are the ones when, where the founders are on brand product and strategy. And that is exactly what I do. And that is exactly what I will be doing for years to come. And it is also what I love. If your brand is going to be the best it can be, you need to suck it up and spend the dime on it because otherwise... That other person who's doing it might as well do that. And I, I think it's probably important also to caveat that by saying that delegating is so important. And I delegate every single thing that I don't think is essential that I do. So for example, operational, finance, HR, socials, all of those. If I'm doing it, it's with a brief at the beginning, but it's not doing it all. So I think that's really important. But I think what I've really realized, you know, there was a there have been points where I felt really burnt out and I felt like, yes. you know what? I've put all of my money into this business, all of my effort, it should be, you know, I should be able to outsource it almost completely and it should be delegated. And there have been times where that worked, but actually in the product brand strategy side, it should come back to the founder and it should come back to the mission. And if I have a driving force of that mission in terms of what I'm doing, I will be there and I will be making it happen with my incredible team.
0: It's an excellent answer. I know age isn't important and I'm sitting it opposite you. I think it's worth saying that you are, extraordinary and you are 24 what is it like I imagine you've hired people there are people on your team who are much older than you are you comfortable with being CEO founder and quite young
1: there was a long time that I wasn't um and I was quite like public about that and I spoke about it and when I hired people I was like just let you know you can probably tell I'm 24 um you know like I'm hiring you because of this this and this but actually I think that you can If something's working, there are strengths to it. So find the strengths and learn them and become accustomed to why that's working. So for me, that was understanding that actually, regardless of age, I am the target customer. The original idea was based on that. The original mission was based on that. As I say, every product that people like that I've kind of said, oh, I love I'd love to have leggings that are like this at the moment. That comes from that. So if I can do that Yeah, sure. It might not be the traditional kind of like CEO in a suit that's been in an industry for 30 years. But it's powerful nonetheless. And being able to embrace those points, I think, is so important. Because at the same time, I've had to hire people with way, way, way more expertise than me who could sit in the room and say, no, that's a bad idea. But actually, what I've realized is the majority of the time. I would often hire people who disagreed so much with my ideas because I thought it was bringing a grown-up into the room who could actually, you know, with the amount of experience who could make that happen. And actually, the people who you hire based on those ideas and all of that should see the power in that and should see the power in the fact that when I hired our socials team originally, they just graduated and therefore are also, you know, my age yeah. and head up the department and are fantastic. And that power needs to be seen. Otherwise, it's kind of just... Denied, um, and you kind of need to be able to embrace and that and see it. like the power in the business. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think for a long time, I tried to probably based off things like imposter syndrome and thinking that people with more experience would be better at running certain parts of the brand. I kind of very much embodied that and just moved away. But that was such a mistake. And I'm so glad I spotted that soon enough to be able to see that was a mistake. And now I'm all back all over everything I should be all over. And it was me thinking I was being like mature and putting the right people in charge, etc., etc. But actually recognizing where the strengths are in your brand, regardless of age and all of that. And also, you know, I think the way I lead, for example, is a lot more collaborative because I know that everyone knows so much more than me. So it's like it has to be based on that but it is certainly intimidating to be in a room of people when you're the youngest and you went to be calling the shots. Um, but if you can see the strengths in that and hire people who also see the strengths in that, then it's pretty unbeatable, I think.
0: I totally, and also just not to apologise for it. Yeah. That we're all here because I had an idea while I was doing my finals, which I'll never get <laughs> over. You mentioned Burnout. Do you recognise when you feel frazzled, When you're, can you catch it before it happens?
1: I think I can, and I think I'm getting better and better at it. And I think that at the same time, there's still sometimes nothing you can do about it. So sometimes my, and I don't think I've ever experienced proper burnout. You know, clinical burnout is a big thing that requires people to take time off work for years often. Um, and I've definitely not encountered that. But, you know, I get burnt out at times. I will be burnt out at some point in the next few months. But And there are things that you need to do it, with it in terms, you know, including taking really clearly designated time off Making sure, for example, that you always take weekends, which I do now, making sure you know how many hours of the day you should really be spending in front of the computer, even if the rest of it you're actually spending with a notebook, thinking out ideas or writing things down, but you're not just staring at a screen all day, which I think a lot of us have got fatigued from. So, yeah, I think I really can. Um, and a lot of mine's to do with screen time, actually. Um, and so I just try and make sure I have that separation and even things like sometimes I'll just hit a wall in the day and I'll go sit on the bike for 20 minutes or sit and read a book for 20 minutes or do some star jumps or whatever it might be, but actually just working out what works for you, I think is so important because sometimes you just have to be like, I am burnt out and I cannot do anything about it. I need to push on. (laughs)
0: Do you also watch TED Talks at lunch? I might have read that about you. I might have made that up, but I like the idea.
1: So I have this part in my book where I basically talk about how at one point during lockdown, I put on my story, I was like, ah, I've been loving watching TED Talks at lunch over the past few days because it distracts me enough to not make me think about work, but it doesn't get me out of the zone enough to not be able to get back into work. And then like I had this like two different sides of the Internet, one of them being like, either like just work through lunch or like i love this or like this is amazing like work 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 or yes. the other half who have been like ted talks through lunch that's ridiculous like encourage rest encourage this and i was like oh, both no. of you were right it completely depends what you need it yes. completely depends on you the day what you respond best to i do not respond well completely shutting off halfway through the day i will lose momentum and i will not be able to concentrate yeah. again and that's just me different people will be completely different. But so I think it's a really, really helpful tool. And then also I feel like something completely unrelated often just gets your thoughts going because you're able to just be, think about things more laterally or in a different way. But yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, Half the time I work through lunch, half the time I... Today I spent the whole time clearing up pasta that I missed the colander on the floor um, at lunch and, you know, it completely depends. Um, so I think it's more just about finding what works for you, but that worked for me.
0: <laughs> I love it. Uh, what are your tips for success? For anybody listening going, I want to be Grace or I've got this idea and I wasn't sure about it. What is the answer?
1: Oh, well, I'd say there's, it completely depends on your situation. I'd say if it's ideas-based and you want to start a company based on something... Put that idea to the test. And that means talking to friends about it. Yeah. So saying like, oh, what do you think of a, I don't know, a convention that does this instead of this? And people be like, eh, not really. And just take every bit of criticism and hone your idea, essentially. I'd also say, as we said before, there's often never a right time. So if you're convinced about something, go for it. But I would say too that there's a lot of this, quit your job and start this. And actually that's so much pressure and that's so much um, riding on one thing. And I didn't learn how to run a business probably like two years into having a business. So you kind of just need to give yourself some stabilizers and there's all in on mentality and that's different from all in on risk um, and pressure and all of that. So I'd say that's really important. And I'd also say one of my best pieces of advice when it comes to starting a business is that you do not need to reinvent the wheel. Like, you do not need to go into an industry and be like, people need to start watching TV upside down because of this. Like, it's not, you know, that's yeah. often not realistic and the amount of marketing spend or innovation spend you'd have to go in to make that happen often doesn't work. What... There is constantly room for is disruptive companies that change something slightly. That might be as we've done sustainable activewear. You know, look at the companies that are doing well. Look at what they do well, and look at what their customers think they're missing. There's space there. There's always space there, especially if you can make it, you know, happen.
0: (laughs) That is excellent advice. Thank you so much. We are going to end with two very quick fire questions. When you think of Tala, give me three words that describe it.
1: Oh, community, disruptive, quality, improvement, like strong, like all of that. I think, you know, I wouldn't, you don't want to, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, that's too tough.
0: (laughs) Fine. Let's do the other quick fire. What are the three things that your business, Tala, could not live without?
1: It's amazing team. I'd say within that, internally and externally, young people. Yeah. And then diversity as well, internally and externally, of age, of race, of pretty much everything, of experience, of pretty much everything you can think of. Just that is so, so, so essential.
0: You are brilliant. I don't even need to say good luck with it. It's flying. And everything else you do will continue. Good luck with the stressful thing that's coming up. I can't wait to read about it in a couple of months. Um, And thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you.
1: Thank you. It was great to meet you and great to be on the podcast.
0: What energy Grace has. She really is an authentic entrepreneur. Next time on Business Unusual from Vodafone Business, I'll be talking to Stephen Bartlett, the founder of world-leading social media marketing agency, Social Chain. As the youngest dragon to join the den, Stephen will tell me how he built a multi-million pound global business all before he turned 27. Thank you so much for listening to Business Unusual from Vodafone Business. Please rate and review the podcast and subscribe to hear lots more from the UK's most invigorating entrepreneurs. From me, for now, goodbye.